Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. They, every week, week on week, spend time investing in the next generation. And that is so critically important. One of the things I definitely heard in, 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 in what they were sharing was just this sense of, I'm not capable, I'm not qualified, I'm not, I'm not, you know, God doesn't always call the qualified, but he does qualify the called. And so if you're willing and you hear that tender voice of God saying, hey, you can make a difference. Hey, you can mentor someone. Hey, you could teach a simple Bible study to a four-year-old. I mean, you're going to, they're going to be hearing it for the first time and you, you can piece it together. So it's an opportunity for us. We've had a phrase around here forever since we started the church. Every member is a minister and every ministry is meaningful. That just means this. We're not going to ask you to do anything that's not going to impact someone's life. So this is not just busy work on top of your already busy work. This is an opportunity for you to truly make a difference. But when thinking about this message, I thought this really kind of leads into two questions. One, is Grace Point my family? Is this my church family? Because that's kind of where it starts. If we're like they talking about family here and thinking about the next generation, that whole mindset is nurtured and developed whenever this is your family, okay? And if you don't know what that means and look like, it's like it's like this. It's like when you drive by this church, do you look at this church and say, this is my church? Or do you drive by the interstate and go, yeah, I go to that church? You know, there's a difference in mentality there. Later on this month, a couple of weeks, we're going to have on a Saturday morning an opportunity for you called First Step Experience for just to kind of jump in. All of our pastors there, elders are there. We, we download a lot of information. We try to answer a lot of questions. So if you are interested in that, please look at signing up and being a part of that on a Saturday morning. Again, we're not going to try to talk you into anything. Anytime somebody can talk you into something, somebody else can talk you out of it. This is something that we want you to hear a voice from God and so you can pray intelligently from the information that you get on that day. So the first question is, is this my church family? The second question is this, where am I serving in my church family? You know, if I'm a part of a family, my kids, we did dishes. When I grew up, I did dishes. We fold clothes. We have things that we do to take care of to keep the family moving. And serving matters. And we really do mean that in a life-changing kind of way. So there's opportunities for booths out in the gallery. You can sign up, all that kind of stuff. And this is, this is important because I'll take you back into my 10th grade year in high school. When God began to put a little seed in my soul about ministry, about serving. And I'm looking at my life, and again, I don't have to tell you my rap sheet to tell you why I am unqualified. Again, God qualifies the called. That's been a part of my mantra in my mind for a lot of years because I'm looking at my life going, I'm not qualified. And then God took me to this verse that I'm going to share with you. This verse in First Peter Chapter 4, verse 10. I was at that time reading the New King James Version, so this is where it is. Each one of you has received a gift. I don't know if you realize that. If you're a child of God, 
God has gifted you. We, if you don't know what that gift is, let us as pastors walk beside you and help you discover your, your spiritual gift. What am I supposed to do with this gift? I'm supposed to minister to one another. I'm supposed to serve one another. I'm supposed to be in one another's life. So again, if this is your church family, where am I serving? Because that's what it means to be a good steward of the gift that God has given you. So, young, old, educated, uneducated, feel qualified, feel under, <laughs> unqualified. If God's called you, he's given you a gift, how are you serving? And finding that place is critically important. But here's what I want to pivot off that verse. That verse, when I was a sophomore in high school, became a key verse that will shape the rest of my life, the trajectory of my life. And I am not exaggerating. That verse was the verse that God used to say, Mike, I want you to be a pastor. Now, God may be calling you to be a pastor, but he may be calling you to teach kids. He may be calling you to welcome people. He may be calling you to serve as a small group leader. There's so many ways. That, but it, my story is, that verse right there, began. God began to shape my life. Here's what I want you to hear in that. Not only what he did, but how God spoke. God speaks through his word. His word is his word. It's not just a phrase that we put out there. This is my Bible. It is inspired. It is indestructible. It is irreplaceable. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will hear, you will hear a message from God's word. I hope my mind is attentive. I hope my heart is receptive. Because if it is, I will never, no, never, ever be the same again in Jesus' name. Would you hold up your Bibles? It may be on an electronic device. That's okay. And I want you to say this with me because I hope this becomes a mantra in your life. This is my Bible. Say it with me. This is my Bible. It is the inspired, indestructible, irreplaceable Word of God. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will hear a message from God, taught from God's Word. My mind is attentive. I hope that's your prayer. I hope that's what you believe. We are doing a study in the book of Psalms. We've been doing it all summer, okay? Since the beginning of June. Now we are in Psalm 119. We've skipped all over. We're doing a mini-series inside of a bigger series of Psalms called Inspired. Because all of Psalm 119, every bit of it, is about the Word of God. In understanding Psalm 119, you start, certain, begin to see certain trends. In 176 verses, made out over this acrostic poem of the Hebrew alphabet, from, uh, from, from the very first letter to the very last letter, we get this beautiful picture of the Word of God. Now, what we get in these major themes, several key phrases come out. One is we're called to know God's Word. I said last week, read it, but I think an actual better description of it is to know it, to know it, to, to be instructed by it, for it to illumine our lives so that we can know the path that we need to take, to know God's Word, to delight in it. That's where we're going to focus today, learning to love it, 
becoming contagious inside of us so that that next generation wants what we got, so that we have something, that our spouse will want what we have because we are delighting in God's word. We meditate on it. That will come next week. We walk in step with it. It begins to shape our life. No, never, no, never, ever will you be the same again if you let the word of God be a part of your life. You go back to Psalm chapter 1, and you find there in that prologue, that, that first chapter written by David that kind of launches us into the entire book, you find this certain phrase there where he talks about the blessed life. He said, blessed is the man or the woman. And then he tells what they are not. They're not this, they're not this, they're not that. And then he goes in, he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. Now here's what you're going to see, and we'll talk about it next week. I'll unpack it more. But you're going to find that the word delight and the word meditate are inseparable in the Hebrew. Or even in, this, in Psalm 119. That you're going to find when you delight, you will want to meditate. And when you meditate on it, you're going to want to, del- you will actually feed that appetite for delighting. But we're going to start with delight. Let's focus on that this week. And what does delight mean? It's used 123 times in the Old Testament. And it means it's this emotional pleasure, this joy, this happiness that comes. Yes, this ancient book that's inspired, that's indestructible, that's irreplaceable, this book right here can stir a happiness inside of you, a joy inside of you, a pleasure inside of you that can't come from other means. Okay, it's not synthetic, it's not fake, it's authentic, it's real, and it's from God. Now, when you see Psalm 119, all 176 verses, you, you will find in there lots of different words to describe what I call the Bible and what you call the Bible. Okay, it uses words like commandments and laws and, and ways. It uses, it uses words like, um, like precepts. I said last week, and I misspoke, that there are nine different descriptors to describe the Bible in Psalm 119. Actually, there's 10. I reread it again this week and found that there are six different times that it uses the word, the word word, to describe the Bible. Now, I might read again this next week and come back with 11 next week. Who knows? But here's what I want you to see in that. It doesn't matter how many times I read this book. It doesn't matter how many times I read that one chapter. It is an endless depth an infinite pull of wisdom and knowledge that just continues to be mined. I, I can study it and I never get through studying it. I can read it and I never get through reading it. It is constant in my life, okay? Here's, here's some things that I learned in that whole reflection is that God's word is fixed, okay? It is final. I don't need a new revelation. I don't need a new word from God. I need the old, old story of his, of his precious bloods atoning. I need this book. I need to understand it in its, its depths. Psalm 119.89 says this, that the Lord's word is fixed, firmly fixed, okay? So th- just think about this. This is solid. This is bedrock. This is something you can build your life on. It is fixed. But I also want to say it's dynamic. It is static but it's dynamic. How can it be both? It is dynamic because it's living and active. It's moving. It's breathing. It's speaking. It's not some ancient, ancient book. It is some very much contemporary for our lives today. Mike, why are you saying this? 
Because that is a dichotomy. That is this, this, this apparent contradiction. How can you be dynamic and fixed at the same time? How can you be static and dynamic at the same time? Unless it is divine. As it is our anchor to build our life on, and yet it moves with us throughout our life. That is the dynamic of the Word of God. And when you come to those words, again, those ten words, commandments and precepts and, and statutes, I'm, I'm going to be really honest with you. I don't get excited. I don't get a warm fuzzy inside my gut when I hear about, hey, here's more commandments for you to follow. Here's more statutes for you to keep up with. In fact, it kind of turns me off. But when I begin to unpack and understand that really his law is actually just trying to keep me between the ditches of life and that his commandments are really trying to counsel me forward, that his precepts is actually the tenderness of God giving direction into my life. So I would be foolish to see it as some this religious, archaic book that is full of do's and don'ts. The do's are there to say, bless yourself. The don'ts are say, don't hurt yourself. If we understand the word of God in all of its beauty, its power, we will not see it as a duty, as a demand, as a drudgery. But we'll see the word of God as delight, as something you love something you turn your heart to and you create a priority in your life for it. Listen to Psalm 119, 47 and 48. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. You find both words there, love and delight tied together. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love. So hear the heart. It's not just a mind activity that you hear God's word. It is a heart where it interacts. Nine different times in Psalm 119 does he talk about loving God's word, loving God's statutes, loving God's law. Nine different times. Eight different times in Psalm 119, he's going to talk about delighting in God's law, delighting in God's commandments, delighting in God's truth. Take your Bibles and let's look at just one of them. Again, you study it for yourself. You can have time and read through them. So Psalm 119, beginning in verse 35. I want you to notice this, this prayer of David. He says, lead me. It's a request, lead me. In, your, in, in the paths of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart. So do some heart work on me, God. Don't let me be the same. No, never, no, never, ever be the same again. Lord, penetrate deep inside of my being. Lead me, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes. Keep me on the right path, God. There's a lot of other distractions out there. There's a lot of other influences out there. There's a lot of other notifications out there. There's a lot of other temptations out there. Lord, keep my eyes from looking at worthless things. And then there's the last prayer. And give me life in your ways. Let's just go to the last phrase. Give me life. Give me life in your ways, God. If you don't know what to pray the rest of this week, pray that prayer. But then notice what he prays prior to that. God, I want you to lead me. God, I want you to do work on my heart. God, I want you to control my physical being, even where I'm looking. This is the impact. And notice right in the middle of that, or right in the beginning of that, I delight in it. In this word of God that we have, it is not a duty. 
It is not a religion. It is a delight in God's word. Now, how do I foster this? Because it's real easy to get into the, to, into the trap, into the, into the rut of thinking it's this duty, demands, all this restrictions of my creativity. Um, foster the senses. Um, look at your five senses. How can I foster that? When you read through Psalm 119, it's like he's drawing on all the senses and that he would have us. Now, I have to admit, I've scanned the scriptures. I've scanned Psalm 119. I scanned all the Psalms. I scanned the whole Bible. I can't find it where it tells us to smell, okay? So I go, go get you a new leather-bound Bible and smell it, okay? That will be one of the ways you can smell the Bible. Um, but he does talk about seeing. He does talk about tasting. He does talk about hearing. He does talk about feeling and touching. So nurture, foster these in your life and see if it does not increase the delight of your life. First of all, let's talk about seeing its value. Do you, when you look at the Bible, when you hold it, do you see its value? Do you see it's inspired? Do you, do you look through it as just a, again, an old book? Or do you, do you see it as indestructible? Do you see it as irreplaceable? I hope you do. How do you value it? When you see it, how do you value it? I have with me on the stage today, uh, probably, in fact, I'll say hands down, my favorite heirloom that's been given to me. Out of all, I don't know, 14, 15 uh, cousins that I have, this one got handed to me. It's a Bible. Written, it was copyrighted in 19, 1844. Six generations. And, I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it holds a special place. Why is it special? Well, obviously, there's this, this sentimentality of family, six generations our, my kids have already said, I want the Bible. I want the Bible. I got three kids. I want the Bible. And so I don't know what to do with that. But uh, I'm not dead yet. Uh, the, um, but I, I hold this with sentimentality to it. But I also hold it because it's valuable of antiquity. I mean, my 1844. I looked it up on Google. Uh, excuse me, I looked it up on eBay. You could buy one of these for a couple hundred dollars. Uh, but when I tie the antiquity with the sentimentality, the, the value of it just goes to the roof. You can't buy this from me. But where's its value? It could be a recipe book from 1844, but it's the Bible. It's, it's content that really is its value. The content of the Word of God, what we have, Listen, not everybody believes what you and I might believe and you and I might believe the same thing. When I call this the inspired, the inerrant, uh, an indestructible word of God, I mean, what, is, what, am I, what am I talking about here? Because if you look at the national average out there, if you look at those who are not followers of Jesus, one in 10 will not call this the word of God. Three in 10 might call it inspired, but they really inspired, what does that mean? So again, not everybody's going to see this book the same, but when you come to the words of David, he's very clear. Psalm 119, 14 and 16 says this. He says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. 
All 401ks, all land, all cattle, all possessions, all homes, all cars, all bank accounts, all 401ks, all inheritance. I value your testimonies, your words over everything else. I will meditate on your precepts, fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You see the elevated view, the perspective that David has? He doesn't end there. He says in Psalm uh, 119, 127, Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. The law of your mouth is better than thousands of gold, thousands of gold and silver pieces. Now that one stopped me in my tracks a little bit this week. So I kind of got a little nerdy and I got started trying to figure out what thousands of gold pieces and silver pieces. Now again, he's, he's ambiguous. He doesn't tell us how many pieces. So I just went with one piece of gold and one piece of silver. And I said, okay, each weighs, the way they measure gold and silver is in troy ounces, one ounce a piece, which is equal to 31.10 ounces for us. So if I take that and I trans- translate that in 500 in one ounce of silver and 500 in gold, what would that translate into? Well, in silver, it would be the equivalent of $12,090. And if it was in gold, it would be $972,185. David said, more than the gold, more than the silver, more than my 401k, more than my, my throne in the, in, 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 in the kingly castle that I live in, is the word of God. How do you see this book? How do you view it? Take your phones out if you don't mind, if you don't already have them. Uh, I hope you see it as more of the wealth for what it contains. We, we asked this question last week. We had a little glitch in our survey. I really, really want to ask you this question again this week. We hopefully have figured, figured it out. Here's, here's the poll. I, you'll, t- you'll text in GPC poll to 9700. You're going to get a reply back. You're going to get an opportunity to answer this question. How many days per week do you read the Bible? Okay? Answer that. Be honest. Don't try to elevate it and don't try to make it something that's not. We can't test, we can't come back and give you a final grade, but this is anonymous, okay? Do you read it one day a week, zero at all during the week? Do you read it, again, put the number in and follow those promptings and next week I will show you the results of what, of what we found. Number two, number one, how do you see the Word of God? What kind of value, when you look at the Word of God, do you have for it? Number two, taste. Taste its goodness. Taste the goodness of the Word of God. I don't know about you, but I'm a stress eater. So if you ever see me gaining weight, you can just say, Mike's under a lot of stress right now. Um, But you know what? The thing about eating when I'm stressed is it makes me feel better a little bit until I don't feel good again. You know what? The Word of God is full of goodness. And it's something we consume. It says in Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are your words, to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What if I took the same stress that I would eat food, a bag of chips, and I came over here and I took that same stress and I saw his word as what I would feast on. Sweeter than honey. 
You go on and you read in Hebrews, it talks about it being mead and it talks about being milk. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, it talks about it being he, uh, milk. And so you got substance and you got sweetness all rolled up in one. That's the word of God. Jeremiah, in a, prophet, prophet in a day of horrible darkness, a day of uh, the, the Jerusalem being ransacked, he was one of the prophets of the remnant that stayed behind and kind of kept the nation together, even though so many of them were exiled. And in that time, there was a famine in the land for God's word. But when God's word shows up, this is what Jeremiah said in chapter 15, verse 16. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy, my heart's delight, for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I ate them. I consumed them. They became the substance of my life, the sweetness of my life. They got me through life. Your word is that kind of substance and sweetness that we should consume. You heard us talk about last week, just real quickly, a new arm of our discipleship, if you will, at Grace Point, is launching a disciple university. It's a higher level. It's a a bit more of a commitment. Keep your small groups, keep going. But this is something that complements this. This is our very first one we're going to do is how to study the Bible. We figure if the Bible is the bedrock of everything that we have, knowing how to study the Bible is very, very important in that process. But here's where I want you to go with this. I don't care if you're educated or uneducated. I don't care if you've been a Bible student, gone to seminary, or never have opened the Bible. This is an opportunity for you to learn how to read the Bible. Because I know it's intimidating Here's what one of our main objectives would be in this whole course, is for you to become a self-feeder on the Word of God. Where, hey, listen, the public reading of the Word of God every Sunday is so, so important. And we're encouraging that. But what I really, really want is for you to learn the discipline and to get the rhythm and get the practice and get the enjoyment to grow the delight of reading the Word yourself. That's what we're aiming for, that you will learn to taste the Word of God, not not only see its value, but taste its substance and its sweetness. But number three, hear the counsel of God. You want to grow the delight? Hear the counsel of God. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselor. Listen, I am all for counselors. I believe in counselors. I see a counselor from time to time myself. But if ever a counselor takes me outside of the word of God, I find a new counselor. The word of God is my counselor. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. It says in Psalm 32, hey, this word, this verse will not appear on the screen, but jot it down. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Psalm 32, verse 8. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Romans 15, verse 4. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. What were they to teach us? The scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait. You can put Romans 15, 4 up. I want you to see that. Look at this verse. Maybe, there it is. Notice that last phrase. As we 
wait. I don't know about you, I hate waiting on God. Any amens in the house? Waiting on God is not what I like to do. Waiting on anybody at a a traffic light, I don't like waiting at all. I don't like waiting in line. What does the Scriptures do? It gives us hope and encouragement while we wait. That's the counsel that we get from God. I know and you know and you've heard we are living in a day of mental health crisis. And I don't make light of that because there's not a profession that I know that is not suffering from the crisis of mental health issues right now. Teachers, lawyers, doctors, pastors, everyone. No one is untouched. But I sometimes wonder if our focus on mental health, we miss soul health. Mental health, if this is that level, soul health is even deeper. Have we forgotten what soul health looks like? I'm reading a book by John Ortberg right now called Soul Keeping. It's just reminding me of the, the, the importance of soul health. How's your soul today? In a totally different source today, uh, this past week, I was reading in 3 John chapter 2. Little bitty letter, there's only one chapter. 3 John 2. It says this, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. That's a good prayer. Pray for that for me, okay? Be in hell. Pray for that. Just as your soul prospers. What if our prayers for one another would be about person's souls and not just about their health? Uncle Larry's liver. What if it was about their soul? How are they doing at their soul level? Psalm 19, this is a verse I added this morning, so it won't appear on the screen, but you do want to jot it down. Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The precept of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to your eyes. Light to your eyes, joy to your heart, refreshing your soul. What does the Word of God do? Well, hopefully it gives you counsel. Wonderful counsel that you can hear, that you can shape your life by. So do you see it? Do you see its value? Do you taste? Do you taste its goodness, its substance, its sweetness? What about its counsel? Are you listening to its counsel? Lastly, do you feel its comfort? Do you feel its comfort? I don't know about you, but life can be absolutely unfair and incredibly hard. Have you ever noticed that? You you ever noticed that sometimes you might be giving 100% to that relationship and the other person's given 50%? It gets real hard. You might be giving your blood, sweat, and tears to your job and all of a sudden you get a notice that your services are no longer required. So I've, I've been giving myself to, yeah, it's incredibly unfair. You might have a gym membership and actually go to the gym. Get it? Go to the gym. And you can be doing everything right physically, eating kale all the time. And go to the doctor and get that report from the doctor that changes everything. Man. Man. Even when you do the right thing, the hard things come our way. 
How do you process through that? Life can seem so incredibly unfair. Psalm 119, verse 50. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promises preserve my life. Let that verse sink in. My comfort in my suffering, not outside of my suffering, not when my suffering's gone someday, and I get that better health report, I get that better job. No. In my suffering, it gives me life. Your mercies come to me that I may live. For your law is my delight. There's that word again. Verse 111, your statutes are my heritage forever. My heritage. They are the joy of my heart. Psalm 143, trouble and anguish have found me. It's kind of, I, I run from that kind of stuff, but they found me. But your commandments are my delight. Delight, comfort, mercy, joy. Do you hear that? All ties to God's Word. See, God's Word is to be seen as a, as a source of value. It is to be tasted for its substance and sweetness. It is to be heard for its deep wisdom and counsel. It is to be felt for its comfort in life. If I go back and I just jump into the different seasons of my life and kind of those flagship moments of my life, those dark moments, I call them the hard moments, there's some I brought on myself. I deserve every bit of the pain that I brought on. Others, I was doing everything right. I failed, but the pain came anyway. What do those have in common? Is you're both looking for relief in both those circumstances. You're both looking for comfort in both those circumstances. You're both looking for help and healing in those times. One last verse. Psalm 119, 92. If your law is not been my delight, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. It's like this book is my life support. Think about it like that. The only way I made it through this affliction, this hard time, this difficult season, is because this is my Bible. The inspired, the indestructible, the irreplaceable Word of God. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, you've heard a message from God's Word. Has your mind been attentive? Your heart been receptive? Because I believe if it has, you will never, no, never, ever be the same again. Would you bow your heads with me? Listen, as you bow your heads right now, the most important relationship this book will lead you to is a relationship with Jesus Christ.
If you do not 100% know that you have that relationship with Jesus, would you right now consider something like this? Telling Jesus, I want you. I need you. You can pray something like this. Jesus, I love you. I need you. I want you. I want your words. I want to taste them. I want to hear them. I want to see them. I want to feel them. Lord, I want to walk in your truth. Just tell him in your own words, Jesus, I give myself to you. And then do not leave this campus without coming and telling Lori or I. We want to know about it. We want to celebrate with you. I just challenge you this morning, run to the Father. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word that is inspired, that is indestructible, that is irreplaceable. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand and worship Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.